Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Wathaponder near Rotherham was a once popular mining area. Throughout the 19th and early 20th centuries, the demand for coal rose exponentially. As a result, many miners settled in the small South Yorkshire town. They spent most of their lives carrying out the physically intense and life-threatening occupation that powered homes and businesses across Britain. When retirement came, the workers had built a life and had families in the area, so they chose to stay. Their sense of security was shattered in 1988, however, when four people were found murdered. The victims' bodies had been severely mutilated. Officers from the South Yorkshire Constabulary would quickly learn that Wathapon Dern had become the hunting ground for a serial killer, who fantasised about matching the notoriety of the Yorkshire Ripper and Jack the Ripper. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 49 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Following a motorbike accident in the mid-1980s, 25-year-old Marcus Law needed to use a wheelchair. He lived alone in a specially adapted bungalow flat on Denman Road and was a familiar face on the estate. 
Marcus had moved into the property in the middle of 1988, after winning a battle with the local council. He had initially lived in a first-floor flat in the same neighbourhood, but being a recent wheelchair user, he struggled with the layout of the property. He had requested to be placed in more suitable accommodation to meet his physical needs. The life-changing incident did not alter his outlook and did not change the fact that Marcus wanted to live independently. He was close to his mother, who lived nearby. On August 29th, 1988, Peggy Tavender set off on a routine trip to visit her son. When she entered the home... Peggy was met with a scene far beyond any parent's worst nightmare. At first she had called out for Marcus, but when she received no reply, Peggy slowly walked through the property. She immediately noticed deep red stains on the floor and red markings spattered up the walls. Peggy followed the trail into the living room where she would find the source. Her son was lying in a puddle of his own blood alongside his wheelchair. Marcus had been bound, and stab wounds were peppered across his body. A subsequent examination would confirm a total of 70 separate injuries. An attempt had been made to eviscerate Marcus and his bowels had been pulled out of the wound. His eyes had also been gouged out. Upon closer inspection, officers realised that cigarette butts were stuffed into his eye sockets as well as his ears and mouth. In one final act of cruelty, Marcus's crutch was jammed into the gaping hole in his stomach. After a panicked call was made to the authorities, the police descended on the scene as curious onlookers gathered outside. The investigation quickly got underway. A murder squad of around 100 officers were assembled, headed by Detective Superintendent Keith Smith. He announced to the media, It was a brutal and sadistic killing. We have not established a motive. He was a person who was well-liked. Marcus had only ever let one, perhaps two men into his home. He was not known to have any enemies, but to die in such a horrific manner made his killing seem personal. After examining the body, a pathologist concluded that Marcus Law had died from shock and hemorrhage. Around the same time Marcus Law's body was discovered, the South Yorkshire Constabulary were in the process of investigating a burglary at a property nearby. Shortly before Marcus's body was found, 
Raymond Ford had reported to the police that another neighbour, 21-year-old Anthony Arkwright, had stolen some items from his flat including an antique clock and a microwave. Arkwright was well known to the authorities. Born in 1967 to parents Dick and Zoe, Anthony Arkwright was four years old when his mother divorced his father and left the family. Dick struggled to juggle a career as a minor and look after five young children. The siblings spent their early years in a children's home. Academically, Arkwright did not excel in any subjects, and he was not popular. Cruel rumours were whispered around the school, suggesting that he had been the product of an incestuous relationship between his mother and one of her family members. Arkwright's troubles began shortly thereafter. He drifted into criminality and took to stealing, vandalism and fighting, which resulted in him being sent to a school for disturbed children. Eventually, he was expelled and sent to a local borstal, where child psychiatrists even struggled to manage his behaviour. As a teenager, he broke into an elderly man's home, terrorised him with a toy pistol and then vandalised the property, leaving the victim traumatised. When he was 18 years old, Arkwright was jailed for eight months for housebreaking. While incarcerated, he bragged about his awful ambition, telling fellow inmates that one day they would see his name in the newspapers as a famous murderer. In the prison library, Arkwright would spend hours studying infamous serial killers including the Yorkshire Ripper and Jack the Ripper. He expressed a desire to one day be as notorious as them. Upon Arkwright's release, he spent a great deal of time with his grandfather. 68-year-old Stanislav Podakis lived with his 73-year-old housekeeper Elsa Konradite on Ruskin Avenue in Mexborough, around three miles east of Wath-upon-Dern. As strange as his behaviour was, Arkwright would visit them frequently sometimes up to 20 times per day. He had since reconnected with his mother, although their relationship was strained, and for good reason. One afternoon, Zoe was at Stanislav's home with her young daughter Natalie, when Arkwright threatened her with a dagger. Zoe ordered her son out of the house, and he responded by threatening to kill her. Zoe said of her son, Sometimes he would be completely normal, and then he would go into a dream world. He looks strange too. At that stage, he wore outrageous punk clothes and a ridiculous Mohican hairstyle. Arkwright bounced from couch to couch and drifted in and out of employment primarily working menial jobs. 
1988, he found employment at a scrapyard near his home working nights constructing railway tracks and obtained his own council flat on Denman Road in Wathapont-Dern. He fantasised about joining the SAS and even dressed the part, donning military fatigues. He chose not to take steps towards such a career, however, instead following through with a much darker ambition. As he worked the night shift, Arkwright struggled to focus, and his mind would often wander. Outside of work, he spent his free time taking on the role of a survivalist, hiding out in the scrapyard with a hunting knife tucked away in his boots. In the summer, he preferred sleeping overnight at the scrapyard as opposed to his home nearby. One neighbour and acquaintance, Neil Hurst, recalled of Arkwright. He was an oddball-like. He didn't get on with many people, and he never spoke to many people. Deep down, I think he was a lonely lad in his own world. The day before Marcus Law's mutilated body was discovered in his bungalow, the police had spoken with Anthony Arkwright about the robbery at Raymond Ford's home. Officers searched his flat and came across several knives as well as clothing that was being soaked in the bath. Several blades were confiscated, and in the process officers noticed a pocket watch with an engraving in Russian. At this point, Arkwright agreed to come to the police station to be questioned. After three hours, Arkwright was then released on bail, scheduled to appear before the court the following week. Naturally, after Marcus Law's body was found, the police decided to again track Arkwright down and questioned him further to inquire as to whether he knew anything about the murder. As he spoke with the police, Arkwright claimed that he was psychic. He pulled out a pack of playing cards, shuffled the deck, and lifted out the four of hearts. He cryptically commented, This is the master card. It means you have four bodies and a madman on the loose. Then added, I can see Marcus Law, but the others are indescribable. They are just too horrible to describe. Arkwright lived next door to Marcus, but denied knowing anything about the murder or witnessing anything suspicious around the time of the killing. Investigators considered Arkwright a person of interest in the case, given his prior history, but they had no evidence against him and allowed him to leave the station. Still suspicious, they decided to interview other neighbours to try and establish what kind of relationship Arkwright had with Marcus, if at all. The first person they were keen to speak to was Raymond Ford, 
He clearly had issues with Arkwright in the past, and they wondered if there was any bad blood between Arkwright and Marcus Law. Forty-five-year-old Raymond Ford was a former teacher who taught overseas. Due to problems with his health, specifically arthritis, he had reached a point where he was no longer able to work. Raymond lived alone on Denman Road, just 40 yards from Marcus Law's home. Following the interview with Anthony Arkwright, the police set off to the address. When they arrived, they knocked on the front door, but there was no answer. Officers could hear the television blaring from inside, but despite their persistent knocks, nobody in the flat responded. Examining the outside of the property, they observed that one of the windows was smashed. An overwhelming sense of concern washed over the officers, and so they decided to kick in the front door. Raymond was known to be a heavy drinker, evidenced by the numerous cider bottles that littered the floor. Officers carefully navigated the glass before noticing blood smeared across the walls in the hallway. Slowly proceeding through the property, they called out Raymond's name, but he did not respond. A strange smell hung heavy in the air, and it appeared to the officers that rotten meat had been left in the hallway. They made their way to his bedroom and were taken aback by what they saw. Raymond Ford had been stabbed more than 500 times, with wounds to every inch of his body. He had been attacked with such brutality that the knife used had shattered. It was clear that Raymond had also been gutted and disemboweled. Entrails and organs were scattered everywhere. One of the officers compared it to the same techniques used by Jack the Ripper. PC David Winter said of the scene, There was blood on the walls. I opened the bedroom door, and I thought there was this pile of clothes in the corner, but there was this body underneath, and all the bits and pieces I'd seen in the hallway, that was all his organs. He'd removed just about every organ in his body. Another one of the responding officers remarked, It was the most brutal act of slaughter I have ever seen. It's all the more chilling when you realise he must have spent at least half an hour inflicting those terrible wounds. Much like Marcus Law, the pathologist found that Raymond Ford had died from shock and hemorrhage. The spectre of a serial killer looming over the community left everyone feeling on edge. Trevor Shepard, a neighbour on Denman Road, said, The place is riddled with vandals, glue sniffers and drug takers. A local MP voiced his opinion on the killing, saying, 
The person who committed these murders must be deranged. Nobody should be misguided into thinking they should protect this person. In an effort to dispel the clouds of fear, the authorities stationed a police caravan on the New Hill Estate, less than a mile away from the two crime scenes. After further examination, it was concluded that Raymond Ford was in fact the first victim, despite Marcus Law's body being discovered first. It was believed the killing occurred 48 hours before Raymond's body was discovered. Since the earlier report from Raymond Ford about the thefts at his flat, detectives felt they knew who was responsible for the grisly murders. Anthony Arkwright was arrested that same day and taken to Rawmarsh Police Station, where he was temporarily incarcerated. Bizarrely, at some point while in his cell, Arkwright squeezed his head out through the hatch in the prison door before realising he was stuck. The custody officer had to call the fire service to get Arkwright set free. To obtain more information about the suspect, the police were keen to speak to any of Anthony Arkwright's relatives. He had a close relationship with his grandfather Stanislav, someone the police had not interviewed. Stanislav Padakis, known as Stan, had moved to England from Lithuania in the 1950s. He lived on Ruskin Avenue in Mexborough with his housekeeper Elsa Conradite. They had lived together for 24 years and had two Yorkshire Terriers. Stan was a keen gardener and took pride in his allotment, located about half a mile from their home. Officers arrived at Ruskin Avenue and knocked on the door, but history repeated itself. There was no answer. They saw that one of the windows was wide open, so PC Winter let himself in. When he entered the kitchen, the officer discovered Elsa's body. She had been bludgeoned to death with an axe that lay next to her. Unharmed, one of the Yorkshire Terriers shivered in distress beside their owner. PC Winter could see no signs of a struggle in the house. The remaining officers cautiously proceeded through the property, Stan Padakis was nowhere to be found. Neighbours informed the police that Stan spent much of his time at his prized allotment off Adwick Road, so naturally officers travelled there next. When they arrived, they spotted a puddle of blood near a large shed. There was a trail of blood leading from the puddle to the shed door, but it was locked. Aware they needed to act quickly, the officers kicked open the door and found the lifeless body of Stan Perdakis. He lay near the edge of the room facing the wall, 
surrounded by neatly stacked wooden furniture and gardening supplies. He had been stabbed and then beaten to death with a lump hammer. Along with the 14-pound tool, an axe was also discarded at the scene. There, the second Yorkshire Terrier was found trapped but unharmed. It had been left for approximately four days before it was discovered. Friends of the family would later take in the dogs. Both bodies were transported to the mortuary. A pathologist concluded that Stanislav Podakis and Elsa Konradite had died from extensive head injuries. Around 200 officers were assigned to the investigation, and the police publicly announced that it was possible more bodies could be found. After the four bodies were discovered, Anthony Arkwright had made illusions that a fifth was waiting to be found. The police began conducting door-to-door searches in the area accompanied by council officers, forcing their way into each and every home in the vicinity if no one answered. As details of the gruesome murders flooded local media, Rumours were rampant that the four victims had been killed in black magic ritual killings. Many locals suggested that the crime scenes had all the hallmarks of occult killings. Due to the uproar, the police were forced to announce that they had ruled out any connection to black magic in the quadruple murders. Following a comprehensive search of the local area, including abandoned properties and waterways, nothing was found. The authorities were confident there were no other victims. That said, they did discover upon questioning Arkwright that he planned on killing more people, namely his mother and a cousin. His motives at the time were unclear. In early September 1988, Anthony Arkwright was charged with the murders of Raymond Ford, Marcus Law, Stanislav Podakis, and Elsa Conradite. He also faced further charges relating to the theft of a valuable clock and destruction of a light fitting and a mattress. He pleaded not guilty. When questioned by the magistrate if he understood the charges, Anthony Arkwright nonchalantly responded, Might do. His solicitor Steve Smith said that his client would be opting out of requesting bail as Arkwright feared for his safety. Outside the courtroom during a previous hearing, a crowd of around 80 people had gathered. Arkwright was transported from the police van into the courtroom. Bystanders hurled abuse. One person repeatedly shouted, hang him. In his client's defence, Steve Smith said, You will have seen the scene outside this court on his last appearance. 
which could only be described as disgraceful. While he did not wish to be released, it was clear Anthony Arkwright wanted to generate as much attention as possible. He was wearing an unusual outfit for the courtroom. His solicitor described his client as a snappy dresser, but others in the legal profession saw Arkwright's choice of white socks, cut-off jeans, a dinner jacket and a red bow tie as a further insult, especially considering the charges he was facing. His solicitor further excused his client by saying, There are no rules for what a defendant can wear in court as long as he is smart and presentable. Having said that, it is not a colour scheme I would have chosen. Arkwright was transported back to Hull Prison. His mental state was assessed, and he was deemed mentally competent to stand trial. His extreme behaviour continued as he felt he was not being listened to. Arkwright smeared faeces across the walls of his cell. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. 
Learn more at byheart.com. On July 13, 1989, Anthony Arkwright appeared before Sheffield Crown Court. There would be no trial. He admitted to the murders of Marcus Law, Raymond Ford and his grandfather Stanislav Perdakis. Arkwright provided a full and detailed confession. However, he denied killing Elsa Conradite in spite of describing the lead-up to that specific crime. Arkwright explained that he was fired from his job at the scrapyard on August 27th. In anger and fueled by alcohol, the first to die was his grandfather Stanislav. Arkwright described how he and Stan had been drinking at a pub near his grandfather's home on Ruskin Avenue in Mexborough. From there, they went to Stan's allotment. Arkwright had long held a grudge against his grandfather. He was convinced, following severe bullying at school, that he was born out of an incestuous union between his grandfather and his mother, Zoe. When Stan's back was turned, Arkwright stabbed him in the neck. The knife severed his spinal cord, paralysing Stan immediately, but at this point he was still alive. Arkwright bound and gagged his grandfather before bludgeoning him to death with an axe. Arkwright then struck Stan on the head with a 14-pound lump hammer. He stole the pocket watch that belonged to his grandfather, which was later found in his home by the police. The body was concealed in the shed, and afterwards Arkwright travelled into town and went on a pub crawl. As he chatted with other patrons in the pub, he alluded to the killing, telling one man, it's been murder on the allotment today. One patron later referred to Arkwright as a wild-eyed weirdo. It is believed he then travelled to Stan's home to steal his savings of £3,000. While doing so, he encountered Elsa and attacked her in the kitchen, although he has never admitted to the crime. As he walked home, he met a group of bouncers at the door of a local pub. Feeling emboldened by the double murder, he picked a fight with them. While Arkwright stood six feet four inches tall, he was no match for the bouncers, who picked him up by his belt and tossed him across the pavement. Thereafter, in the early morning hours, Arkwright decided to enter the home of his neighbour Raymond Ford. Raymond had complained to friends that he felt as though Arkwright was bullying him. Raymond was a man who kept to himself, but he was tormented by his younger neighbour. Arkwright routinely smashed Raymond's windows, and on one occasion he even shoved excrement through his letterbox. 
The final straw came when Anthony Arkwright crept into Raymond Ford's home and stole some of his belongings. Upon discovering the theft, Raymond knew exactly who the guilty party was and reported him to the police. In the early morning of August 28th, Arkwright again crept into Raymond Ford's flat. He wore a plastic devil mask on his face, but nothing else. He stabbed Raymond hundreds of times before disemboweling him, mutilating his organs and scattering his intestines around the room, ready to be found by the police days later. Covered in blood from the frenzied attack, Arkwright returned home and cleaned himself up before the police arrived. They were oblivious that Raymond was dead, but were there to question Arkwright about the thefts from his neighbour. Arkwright was taken to the station but was eventually released before he started drinking again. Within hours he would commit his final murder. Marcus Law was Arkwright's next-door neighbour, and the two men had squabbled in the past. Arkwright detailed the brutal killing to detectives, explaining that the murder was committed because Arkwright was frustrated as his neighbour was always asking him for cigarettes. This was why they had been forced into Marcus Law's mouth, ears and eyes. During mitigation, Anthony Arkwright's defence counsel James Chadwin argued that his client was mentally unstable due in part to his upbringing. Chadwin stated, Arkwright is a young man who suffers from severe personality damage and disorder. He has shown signs of disturbance since the time his mother left him when he was four years old. This was something Arkwright agreed with. In a rambling 15-minute speech to the court, he blamed his mental state on a disturbed childhood, ending with the words, We were born to live in a world of love. Anthony Arkwright was sentenced to life in prison, with a recommendation that he serve a minimum of 25 years. It was decided that the charge for the murder of Elsa Conradite would lie on file. In handing down the sentence, Mr Justice Borum said, the offences can only be described as horrible offences of sadistic cruelty, cruelty for its own sake. Addressing Arkwright, the judge added, I accept you have had a deprived and disturbed childhood, but that cannot be any excuse for the appalling cruelty and apparent sadistic pleasure with which you carried out these offences. There is nothing in the medical evidence to suggest anything to mitigate what you have done. Mr Justice Borum revealed to the courtroom that three esteemed psychiatrists had examined Arkwright. 
they all found that he posed a significant danger to the public and would remain a danger for years to come. According to a detective who worked on bringing Arkwright to justice, from the day we brought him in for the Marcus Law murder to the day he was jailed, Arkwright seemed genuinely proud of what he had done. He expected everyone to revere him, to be fascinated by him. He was a messed up kid, desperate for attention. In his defected mind, he chose murder to get the attention he craved. After the sentence was handed down, Anthony Arkwright's mother Zoe came forward and contended that the claims that Arkwright's grandfather was also his father was simply not true. She said that Arkwright, along with his brothers and sisters, had discovered that she had been abused by Stanislav while growing up. The family had moved from Lithuania to England when she was a young girl. Speaking about her father, Arkwright's mother recalled, Everything was fine with him until I was five when he started to sit me on his knee and fondle me. It was always when my mother was out. As Zoe got older, she said Stanislav tried to rape her several times. In 1960, he was arrested and jailed for three years for indecent assault. Upon his release, Zoe and Stanislav rebuilt their relationship. She said that she forgave him and tried to forget about the horrific abuse he had inflicted. She shared her belief that if her son were not caught she would have been his next victim. Zoe said, Tony tried to put the blame on me as some sort of excuse for his terrible crimes. He decided to make it up because he had such hatred for me at the time. And when he hated someone, he would stop at nothing to cause pain. That is why I am sure that I would have been one of his victims. Thank God I was away from home at the time of his killings. While Zoe did explain that her father had sexually abused her, she insisted that Arkwright was not the product of incest. She revealed that in fact her son had been the one peddling lies about his lineage for some time. Two months before the murders, The police had arrived at her home asking who Anthony Arkwright's father was. She told the officers that his father was her first husband, Dick Arkwright. Zoe was stunned when they revealed that her son had made a police report that his grandfather Stanislav was his father. Zoe recalled, Those words left me feeling physically sick and totally humiliated. It was yet another example of Tony putting the blame on anyone or anything but himself. Zoe said that even if it were true, Arkwright would have, quote, thrown it in my face during one of his moods, 
To this day, I'm sure that he only mentioned it to the police because he was on one of his fantasy trips. So where are we now? In 2002, Marcus Law's father Tony took his own life after being haunted by his son's murder. He was 62 years old when he poisoned himself with car exhaust fumes in the garage of his home. Explaining what happened, Marcus's mother Norma said, No parent could ever come to terms with something as traumatic as that. What happened to Marcus preyed on Tony's mind. He kept having nightmares. Marcus was screaming for his dad, but he just couldn't get to him. We moved for a fresh start, but Tony couldn't escape the memories. An inquest was held into Tony's death and it revealed to the public that Marcus was the couple's only remaining son after their other son took his own life at just 13 years old in 1973. Describing the impact of such a challenging set of circumstances and how Tony must have been haunted by what happened, Coroner Peter Brunton stated, This man was badly affected by the violent deaths of his two children. This is the most tragic set of circumstances I have ever come across. After the legal proceedings at Sheffield Crown Court, the Home Secretary considered Anthony Arkwright's 25-year minimum sentence. They subsequently ordered that his minimum term be increased to a whole life tariff, a sentence that is only applicable to the very worst criminals in Britain. Anthony Arkwright will never be released. Thank you for listening. And special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.